So Pastor Aaron came to me some time ago when we were deciding who was going to speak when Pastor Scott was gone, and he asked me to preach a message on the assurance of salvation, assurance of the faith. And I was so excited to do that. And should the Lord will, we're going to do that this morning. First, I got to tell you a little story. In 1977, at the age of 17, my friend asked me, do you want to start a Christian band with me? And I was so excited to do that. Man, it didn't sound like there was anything better in the world than to start a Christian band. Trouble was, I wasn't a Christian in those times. While I went to church, I wasn't a Christian. During that time, I thought I had better make this step and decide to live what I actually thought. So I became a Christian that, around that time. And yet, for the next two years, my brain was scrambling to find any kind of certainty as to whether or not I was a Christian. I was struggling being so very, very unsure about my faith. I didn't necessarily believe anything. Two years later, God gave me a verse, a specific verse. And while I didn't feel like a Christian during those times, he gave me the knowledge that I was. I want to tell you this morning about that particular verse that God gave me. Before we do that, let's pray. Heavenly Father, continuously I come before you and am amazed by the truth contained in your word. Lord, you are glorious. You have a plan for us, a purpose. And I pray this morning, should there be anybody here with questions as to whether or not they're saved, that you would, through the power of your Holy Spirit, speak to them. Speak to all of us this morning, Lord, about this in Jesus' name. Amen. There is a man by the name of William Armony. In 1970, he started working for a charitable company, and he rose in ranks there uh, so quickly that he quickly became the chairman, and he changed the name of that company to the United Way. We know it today as that name. It was a great thing. Another man by the name of Braxton Bragg. You may have heard of his name in the news recently. Uh, Fort Bragg, North Carolina, was named after him. Another great thing. You might recognize the name of Egerton Ryerson. We know him as uh, the, the, the man whose name was used to name Ryerson University in Toronto. It was named after him, and there was a statue put up of him in front of Ryerson University. Some of us will remember a man by the name of Bill Cosby. Uh, I remember him as being one of the guys that I looked up to in Hollywood as being a good family man, an example of a good family man in Hollywood. And all four of these men have something in common. They started out well, and then soon, for some reason, they tumbled. William Armony was convicted in 1995 of fraud, of stealing money from the United Way. He spent eight years in prison, and he passed away in 2011. Braxton Bragg, the commander that Fort Bragg was named after, was actually a Confederate soldier who was not a very successful commander. Just recently in the news, you may have heard 
that Fort Bragg's name has been changed now to Fort Liberty. Egerton Ryerson, not sure exactly what happened to him, but society pulled down his statue for his involvement in residential schools. And Bill Cosby, a man who I thought was a great comedian, 60s, 70s, 80s, and 90s, did some terrible things, some nasty things, in the abuse of women over his time. Sometimes when somebody does something good for society or good in life and time marches on, we have an opportunity through studying them, through reading about them, following who they are, we learn that they have some indiscretions in their life. There is a man named John who walked with Jesus for three years. He got to know him very, very well. During that time, he saw many, many miracles that Jesus did. He saw him turn water into wine. He saw him heal people. He saw him command nature. He saw him raise people from the dead. John was present at the crucifixion of Jesus. John ran to the tomb to find it empty. John was there at the ascension of Jesus. I watched a podcast recently on the ascension of Jesus, and a really cool point was made, and John would have understood this in his day, that Jesus was the first man to go to sit at the right hand of God, the firstborn, the first human being to go and be with God. John would have seen that and known that. John has the opportunity, approximately 60 years later, to have a look back on the life of Jesus. Like history does so often when we examine somebody who has done something good in life. He has the opportunity to go back and look, did we miss something? Was there something that wasn't quite right that Jesus did? Do I need to come clean about this? Is there anything that wasn't quite true that Jesus did? Let's just look for a minute at what's happened since the time of Jesus' death until the book of 1 John is written approximately 60 years later. The, 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 the Johannine epistle, or uh, sorry, the, the apostle John writes the gospel of John. He writes the three epistles and he writes the book of Revelation approximately 60 years after the death of Christ. But let's look what's happened there. What has John seen during this time? John has seen uh, the Holy Spirit descend upon all of the apostles and disciples. He has seen the the apostles and disciples begin to go out and preach the gospel to all the peoples of the world. He has seen his fellow brothers begin to perform miracles themselves. He has also seen his brother, James, beheaded by Herod. 
And as time goes on, he begins to hear of his other brothers falling, some by the sword, some by crucifixion. Peter, it's traditionally accepted that Peter is crucified upside down. It's traditionally accepted that Andrew is crucified on a St. Andrew's cross. It's traditionally accepted that Nathaniel is put to death by the sword. And it's traditionally accepted that as the other disciples move throughout the world, they are martyred. Again, traditionally accepted. Thomas, potentially in India, he is martyred to death. Others are martyred in Persia, Armenia, all in the area there. So John has watched. He has seen or he has heard all of the brothers, all of his partners, his friends, his associates that all saw Jesus. He has seen those guys fall and die. He has seen various emperors come along in the, in the history of Rome. We have Tiberius. We have Caligula, Claudius, Nero. And each one of those emperors seems to bring more and more persecution to the brothers, to the church. He has seen this. He is a witness to all of this. He hears about it. Finally, in 70 AD, Emperor Vespasian sacks Jerusalem. He destroys Jerusalem, and and I'm sure in John's mind he goes back to the words of Jesus when he said, not one stone will be left on another in this city. And at that time, the, the, the nation of Israel, 70 AD, disappeared and became a nation once again in the year 1948. John was not there for that, but he saw the destruction of this. And approximately 20 years after the destruction of Jerusalem, John writes the book, or is involved in writing the book of 1 John. So it is in this context It is in this context that we read these words. And I'm going to just, Pastor Aaron read these words last week. But this is what John has to say now. And if there's anything he needs to come clean on, look what he has seen, look what he has done, look what he has been a part of, this persecution. If there's anything that he needs to come clean on and say, now is the time, approximately 60 years later, decades later. This is the context that these words are written. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared. We have seen it and testify to it, and we proclaim to you the eternal life. Look at the persecution and the death that these Roman emperors and the world have put on the church. And of all the things the author of the book of 1 John could say, he says... 
This is real. That which we thought about Jesus is true. That which we knew of Jesus is true. And I say all of this <laughs> to finally get to this morning's verses. We're going to be looking at 1 John chapter 2. And we're going to start at verse uh, 12. 1 John 2, 12. This is what John, 60 years later, after analyzing everything, has to say, or some of the things that he has to say. He says, I write to you, dear children, because your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. I write to you, fathers, because you have known him from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, dear children, because you have known the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God lives in you, and you have overcome the evil one. John says these things, and it's interesting to note that he almost doubles up on what he says. He says three times, I write to you children, I write to you fathers, I write to you young men. And then he seems to say it again, I write to you children, I write to you fathers, I write to you young men. In the Greek, there's two different words that are used. The first words he used is grapho. It almost sounds like the word graphics, to put something down, to make a mark almost. It says, I am writing. That's what it means. The second word that he uses in the second three is a little bit different, but it means the same thing. It means, I am writing, but it's igrapsa, which means, I have written. But it means the same thing, I am writing to you. But it's, it's a much bolder word that has a little bit of history involved. It, it, it gives us a, a sense of depth. There is not just one time that I am writing to you, but I have been writing to you, and it has a purpose. So who are the children? Let's look at the book of John for a minute. Who are the children? John 1.12 I'll just read this. Who are the children? John 1.12. Some of you might know this off by heart. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. It's very, very clear in this passage that John, or the author of the book of 1 John, is writing to the Christian. He is saying, I am writing to all of those whose sins have been forgiven. I am writing to all of those who over the years and longevity of their life have come to know God personally. 
I am writing to you young men who have, and women who have been on the front lines of Christianity and have had to deal with the very most difficult part of temptation during that time of your life. And he is saying this twice. He's saying, this is whom and who I am writing to. This is who the message is for. And now I have to go back to 1979 in my own life. At the age of 19, being so unsure of whether or not I was a Christian. So unsure of my faith. So unsure if I even had a faith or if anything was true that I believed. And for the first time in my life, I'm reading this passage. You have to picture that. For the very first time in my life, I may have heard it in a sermon, I may have read it in Sunday school with a bunch of people, but for the first time in my life, I am sitting down with God's Word and praying, God, speak to me. You've got to talk to me here. Am I really a Christian? I don't feel like a Christian. And I read these words. I write to you, dear children, because your sins have been forgiven you. I write to you, fathers. I write to you, young men. And then he says it again, and I'm reading this and I think, That's so cool. But what are you writing to me? What is your message to me? And I remember specifically praying that day, that that evening, whatever time it was, I don't remember. God, would you please give me a verse that lets me know beyond any shadow of a doubt that I am a Christian and that I have the assurance of faith, that I have the assurance of eternal life. So I went back to the beginning of the book, and I started to read again. What are you writing to me, God? What is the message that the author of the book of 1 John has for me? Can there please be a verse in here who will settle the argument in my brain that I am a Christian, I have the assurance of faith, and that I have eternal life? Are you here like that this morning where you're struggling? You've been a Christian for a long time. You've come to church for a long time. And yet you're still not quite sure. Please keep listening. As I started to read the book of 1 John again, I found chapter 1, verse 4. It says this. We write this. So there's a reason there. There's a purpose to make our joy complete. This verse is actually astounding, and it's, it didn't have anything to do, as I looked at it, with the assurance of faith. But 
Look at what John says. Look what the author or authors say here. I'm writing this in the midst of absolute persecution, in the face of death, but writing this to you brings out true joy. You know why? (laughs) Because he's writing what he knows is true. He knows it's true. So the first thing I see there is he's writing to make his joy complete. The second thing comes from 1 John chapter 2, verse 1. I write this to you so that you will not sin. And at the age of 19, again, I'm thinking, that's great. It's, it's a verse I understand. And each one of these I write to use, there's four of them in this book. Each one of these I write to use is so deserving of its own particular message. But we just don't have time this morning. I write to you that you would avoid sin. It's a great message. But it didn't speak to me at that time having anything to do with my assurance of my faith. The assurance that I so longed to have after being a Christian for what seemed to be, you know, as a young man forever. I've been a Christian for two years now. It's been so long I've got to find some assurance of faith. The next verse I see comes in 2.26, 1 John 2.26. I am writing these things to you about those who are trying to lead you astray. Oh, I could spend some time on this. In this day and age, there is every kind of media outlet, every kind of social place where you can go to give you all kinds of things that might make you a better person, happier, whatever. There, there are so many places where false teachers are able to just creep in and steer you away from the truth. God's word is the truth. I read that again, and and I I wish I could spend more time on it and just dive right in there, but I can't. So as a young man, I'm still reading. I read through the rest of chapter 2, looking for any kind of verse on assurance of faith. I read through chapter 3, all great words from the Apostle John, from John in here, all great words. I read through chapter 4, good words. I read through chapter 5, and then I come upon a verse. (laughs) I've been waiting like eight weeks to tell you this verse. At the age of 19, I come upon a verse in Scripture, and this is what it says. I'm going to say it for you, and then I'm going to tell you where it is. I have written these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. What a verse. 
1 John 5, 13. Memorize that. Wrap it around your finger. Plug one ear when you hear it so it doesn't go out the other ear. Put it in your pocket. Remember that. Remember those words. I have written these things to you in spite of all that's going on in the early church, the death, the persecution. I have written these things to you so that I have written these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. And that day when I read that, it was like cold water in the face. It really was. I kind of understood that the assurance of faith does not come from feeling. I don't feel the assurance of faith. It comes from the knowledge of knowing. You're not going to have greater assurance of faith by trying harder or believing more or trying to manufacture inside yourself some kind of feeling to feel more assured. You will know the assurance of faith when you make a decision in your life that you are going to believe that Scripture is the inerrant word of God that is absolute truth, that is the foundation of your faith that you go to for the the knowledge that God wants to give you. Hosea, the book of Hosea 4, chapter 4, verse 6. God, through the prophet Hosea, says, My people are destroyed from lack of knowledge. He's talking about the nation of Israel at this time. My people are destroyed from lack of knowledge. Where are you at this morning with your faith? I'm, I'm, you know, I'm thinking about the songs we're singing this morning and... Um, it's just so great that the message into that uh, death cannot hold you song. You know what I mean? And as we're singing it, I'm feeling so strong, so powerful. But the feeling without the knowledge is empty. The feeling that you get without knowing the truth is empty. And we know from the truth, because we've made the decision to believe that this truth is going to be our foundation, that we're going to base our life not by how we feel, but by the knowledge that we know based on the fact that this is God's word. And everything that God wants us to know Everything that God wants us to know is contained here. Everything that we need to know about him is contained here. I'll just get the worship team. Come on up, guys. I'm going to close with a song. So where are you at? How is your faith? 
How do you feel about your faith? Or what do you know about your faith? What I know is that I can feel good or I can feel not so good. But what I feel has nothing to do with how true Scripture is. Scripture is the truth. And Scripture says that this man who has seen so much says to me, I have written these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you can know that you have eternal life. Let's pray. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the truth. Thank you that you have given us your word so that we don't wander around in this world aimlessly trying to find something to hold on to. Lord, I pray that you would help us all this morning to make that decision, to decide, Father, that we are going to rest assured in the truth contained in Scripture. Rest assured that we are children of God because we have received and accepted you, Lord. And rest assured that you have given us eternal life. Help us, Lord, to know that knowledge. In Jesus' name, amen.